James Rousseau, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of The Corling Solution, where we look to empower you through awareness and actionable insights. On this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Tommy Sardine. Tommy comes from a background of more than 20 years in law enforcement, most notably working within the Dade County prison system. He shares some of what I would characterize as not just a working journey, but a humanitarian journey. See, he helped establish and install policies within the prison system where they did not exist or comply with state regulations. I mean, think of common things such as air conditioning, the distribution of food, bedding, etc. All the things that we would expect or take for granted. He further talks about the recidivism rates, which is the percentage of people that return to prison after being released, which was a huge challenge and continues to be today, quite frankly. We then shift the discussion to his journey as an entrepreneur, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So sit back and buckle up as we're about to link up with Tommy Sardine. So I want to welcome to the Corling Solution, a good friend and a colleague, Tommy Sardine, hailing from the great state of Florida. How you doing? Great, great. We are in, uh, if you wonder why we're dressed down, we are in uh, Montego Bay, Jamaica, enjoying the sun. Uh, but Tommy was uh, gracious enough to take some time away from the family, the pool, the beach, skydiving, anything else you can do in Jamaica <laughs> to uh, talk with us for a little bit. So Tommy, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, talk a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Well, um, originally from uh, New York, born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, raised in Brooklyn, out Cambridge Heights, Queens, and also down in the Caribbean, St. Martin. Used to live there for a while. Uh, backgrounds in law enforcement. That's what I did for 20 years. But prior to that, did just about everything from uh, security, managing uh, stores from Carvel's to Eka Drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All, whatever it was, sometimes had three jobs. You know, worked uh, in uh, daycare centers with kids uh, and actually cooked in the kitchen for the kids, worked in community colleges in the kitchen, also uh, baked. My father had a bakery down in St. Martin, so I was a baker also. So I did a, a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. background though, but for 20 years straight was in law enforcement. I uh, was a training officer, wrote policies and procedures for the Dade County jails, and uh, did a lot of great things in Dade County with them. Yeah. And what's interesting about Tommy is two things. He had a path whereby he could be doing something totally different now, like uh, some of the people he knew when he grew up and some people I knew when I grew up where he could be lost and still on the street, sleeping on the blanket on a curb somewhere. He could be dead or a whole other th- bunch of things. But because of a number of different things and, and decisions he made in his life, he's here enjoying a different life with his family. Um, secondarily, though, not only that, he's done a lot of different things that I believe probably helped tons, thousands of people probably because of the things he's institutionalized during his time working in the prison system. So. I think we could spend some time really going deep into some of those things, man. So I would love for you to start uh, things you did in the Dade County prison system. Maybe maybe even just start with what were some of the first realizations that, man, this system has some opportunities here. There are some things we can fix. What were your first realizations of there's some things we can fix? Well, hey, things we could fix when I first actually started writing policies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For them, uh, with Dade County, uh, some of the facilities didn't have policies. They had memos, mm-hmm. <laughs> memos on things that had to be done to things you should follow, but they weren't policies. They weren't actually specifics. And that's mm-hmm. what I uh, started doing. They had an accreditation bureau that was working on that. They had one facility that was accredited, which was a women's facility. 
But other than that, none of the other facilities were accredited or had guidelines and policies that officers can. So is the memo like a like a quick stop gap band aid kind of thing? Yeah, is memo. Yeah, yeah, that's all they did was a. If something happened, they wrote a memo. Don't do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't something how to do it. It was like, okay, this happened. Okay, this is what we're not going to do. Okay. But it wasn't okay. to how to accomplish that to task. Correctly. Got it. According to the state statutes. Okay. And that's where you know we came in. I came in at actually taking the state statute with the guidelines that they said had to have from lighting in the cell to the height of the bunk from the floor mm-hmm. uh, to the air conditioning being a certain temperature, right. you know, for, from the food mm-hmm. being uh, delivered to the cell and, and the timely manner from the diabetics getting their snack before mm-hmm. so they don't go into a diabetic shock. Right. So all those things they didn't have policies written for. Wow. So that's what, you know, I read the 33-8, that was a statute that we had to abide by for the county jails. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state prisons was uh, chapter 33. Got it. And dash eight meant for the county. And when was this approximately? What, what year was this? Well, I started in 84, 1984. Okay. Uh, the system was uh, a lot different than it is now. Sure. Um, they used to feed a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Food was different. Mm-hmm. Behavior was different from officers and inmates compared to the way it is now. Right. Now you have, uh, you know, you never thought about having a hundred and, you know, a hundred inmates in a room with uh, one or two officers at, by themselves. Right. And now that's, that's the way you house a new generation jailing. Right. So back then, um, uh, higher ratios, officer to inmates, right? Well, not oh, no, as, no. Okay. no. Uh, the the ratio was uh, different because they had them in cells. The inmates were in cells. You might have had uh, thirty inmates in a cell, but they were confined, and the officers was in a wing, was outside of it. Okay. So they just walked around the perimeter mm-hmm. and looked inside. So mm-hmm. there was a lot more of things happening with inmates mm-hmm. within the cell that the officers didn't see. Right. So new generation jail stops a lot of the preying on the weak mm-hmm. like it was in the past. Got it. So those are some of the things. And then we had policies to, uh, to, to help with that. But uh, the past jails, there was a lot of you know, abuse being happening mm-hmm. with inmates, the strong taking advantage of the weak mm-hmm. From even taking their food to you know, physically abusing them, things like that. Got so, it. and was that the thrust of a lot of what your responsibilities were in terms of policies, trying to help improve the safety of the inmates? And yeah. what, what, what was that? that? And the safety of the inmates and the safety of your officers. Okay, doing their job in a, in a safe manner, mm-hmm. um, not you know walking in front of them. It's different things that they had to do, even trained in the academy. But you get lax when you're doing things. But also the environment that we had in the jail system right because you work a new generation jail is totally different than working the regular system that we had right so just writing the policies and on um, how things had to be done mm-hmm. from the way you handle the inmate uh, to the way you release them got it so which uh, you know they were memos but they weren't policies step by step by step on what you had to do right that made its way through training and got institutionalized etc right. and documentation they didn't have the documentation that was got key it. And uh, you had abuse in every every area. You know, you had officers that abused inmates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, besides the inmates abusing inmates, but you had the officers that. So we had to have policies in place that they didn't take advantage of those inmates either. Right. You know, a lot of people in jail that don't really need to be there. Right. What was your, you know, as you started working through this, what were some of the aha moments for you? What were some of the things that surprised you the most? 
Oh, well, what surprised me is uh, how they didn't have those guidelines mm -hmm. and surprising the people you had to deal with over the years and being there for so many years, seeing the recidivism rate, you know, you work a facility, even though I was in the training bureau and accreditation, mm -hmm. uh, I was in a facility a lot at some time, but even when I went in there, worked overtime, because mm -hmm. anytime you wanted more money, you had to work overtime. Right. <laughs> so I would go and work overtime and work details. Right. And, and you see the inmate, he got released, but right. then he's back again. Right. Or his brother's back again. Right. You know, and, and you just, it's like a, it's a, it's a revolving door that doesn't stop. Now explain, you know, because I don't want to assume everybody understands the whole, you know, recidivism and the concept. Maybe just explain what recidivism is for folks. Well, recidivism is uh, those individuals that the environment that they're in, mm -hmm. out there in real life, that environment brings them right back into the jail. Mm -hmm. Because they, they come to jail for committing a crime, they're in jail, mm -hmm. and now they go back out, but they're going back in that same environment that they were in, and it doesn't change their habits, doesn't change their behavior, mm -hmm. so they turn around and they come back into the jail again. Right. And they may be, it may be because their brother is a career criminal, mm -hmm. or their father, or their friends, and now they hang around that same, that same crowd, that same group, and they start coming back again. Right. And you see it over and over and over again. I've seen guys, for the 20 years I was there, I've seen guys come in and out of that, that system for mm -hmm. 20 years. Right. I mean, when they were teenagers and now they're adults, because we used to house teenagers, you had a, a juvenile floor. Mm -hmm. And they came in as a juvenile and then they come out, they come back as an adult. Right. And they just keep going in and out, in and out. From your perspective, uh, and how, how long ago did you leave the working in the prison system? 2004. 2004. From 84 to 2004. So 20 years. So what were the policies geared in such a way, or a certain percentage of them, to lend themselves towards improving recidivism? Yes, they had programs mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. You know, they had um, guidance counselors, as you call them. Mm -hmm. They had counselors, people in place. They had programs to try to help those individuals. Uh, but what my experience was, they had those programs when they were there. They were training them, some GED programs. They had programs with small engine, teaching them how to mm. work on vehicles and stuff sure, like that. Sure. But when they got back into that same environment, you know, a small percentage never came back. Got it. But a larger percentage always came back. Got it. And they're plugged back into that program again. It might be they were on drugs and they plugged into the drug program. Or they plug into, you know, the, the religious programs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're doing great. Then they come out, they do good for a while. But they, if they don't get away from that environment, they come back. Got it. Okay. And hmm. Seeing that over the years, and it, it's a shame. And they don't have a choice because where they're going to live. Right. So for people listening to the program, sounds like one of the things is if you have a family member that goes into that is incarcerated, and if they come out, they need a dramatic shift in environment to be successful yeah. uh, in they, staying out. They need that, so there's nothing out there for them. Right. You know, there's different halfway houses or whatever it is, but they're not, you're putting them in an environment with the same type of people. Right. So mm. there's not a system in place that I knew of back then, I don't mm -hmm. know about now, but back then, that when they were released, that they could get into a program that could get them away from that environment. Right, got it, got it, okay. So you, so after 20 years, then you make a change and cause I know you, I, you know, I was introduced to you as one of the uh, premier entrepreneurs I've, I've known now for about four years. So 
Tell me about the shift from that work into becoming an entrepreneur. How'd you make that shift? Yeah, that shift was many years ago. I mean, because I was a workaholic. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd work jobs. I mean, came down to Florida in 77 uh, for a wedding. And my sister went back and resigned from my job in New York because mm-hmm. I saw the lifestyle was different in Florida for my kids because mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, instead of them going to the park, you know, because I lived up in the Bronx, but still you go into the park and got them in the sprinklers and the guy is selling drugs across the park mm-hmm. there. I wanted to get them out of that environment. Right. So when I saw Florida that, hey, you can, same price I was paying for something up there to have a better environment, to have a clubhouse, a pool and mm. gym. And right. I was like, man, this is great for the kids. So I left New York and came down here mm-hmm. and uh, got into uh, managing gas stations at the time. Had a job doing that and left that and went into Union Carbide, mm-hmm. uh, distribution coordinator with gases and chemicals. And mm-hmm. then uh, my dad was a baker. He had a bakery in St. Martin and said, well, he needed help. Mm. And I was the only son at the time that could bake. So I went down to St. Martin to help him and uh, to build up the bakery down there and did that for a few years and ended up coming back to Florida. Right. <laughs> Got back into management uh, with uh, Eckerd Drugs, managing Eckerd Drugs. And mm-hmm. Yeah, hours were crazy. I mean, putting in, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours sometimes. And when the opportunity arises, I always wanted to get into law enforcement because I was in security in New York. I was assistant chief of security right. in New York uh, with ports and terminals there. And I ended up uh, applying for Dade County for corrections and police. Gotcha. And uh, back then you had to take a test. So I took the test, passed it, and they called me. Gotcha. And I, I started doing that. Um, full time. When and was that around, approximately? That was in uh, '84. '84. Okay. I started in '84. Right. And got in there, and um, the entrepreneurship started when uh, actually my wife came home mm-hmm. and uh, said that uh, want to go to a meeting, an mm-hmm. Amway meeting. I said, No, we ain't. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that already. I ain't uh-huh. doing that. But uh, we have a good relationship. We married now this year, 31 years. Right. So I support her. She supports me. Sure. So mm-hmm. I went to the meeting right. and it made sense. Right. You know? So I said, you know, I always want to do things for myself. Mm-hmm. I worked in the bakery. My father had a bakery. So I started uh, doing Amway. With right. And that, uh, you know, took that for about seven years. Mm-hmm. Didn't make any money. Right. <laughs> but the best person development, because that's when I really got engaged with personal development. Okay. You know, in New York, I read a book called uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay, and that got mm-hmm. me going mm-hmm. uh, back in the college and stuff. And mm-hmm. then uh, when I got into Amway, that was, you know, a monthly book. Mm-hmm. And we started reading books, and, and uh, that got me into personal development, and we did Amway, and then uh, got out of Amway mm-hmm. from a car accident one day going to a meeting. I said, man, I'm chasing this dollar. It don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Stopped it and and uh, started doing what we ended up doing. Another company uh, helped the gentleman develop a networking company for cosmetics called Sasha Cosmetics out of Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, it did well for a little bit, but then it's nine eleven hit. We had a kiosk in the mall, and that went down. At the same time, we signed up with Legal Shield back gotcha. then, prepaid legal. Mm-hmm. So we were always looking to make more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So and we uh, so we signed up for that and started doing that. But uh, the person development was always, always there. there, and and that's what kept us looking and kept us going. You know, as I said, we've done uh, I've done so many jobs, working two and three jobs as a 
as an officer. I had a job, two jobs. I uh, had a gentleman I ran into, and he had a contract with Nabisco. Right. And uh, he couldn't get anyone to go into the inner city and, and Florida, into mm-hmm. Liberty City and Overtown. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I grew up in the inner city in New York, so it didn't mm-hmm. matter to me. So uh, he was a Spanish guy, and he wanted he, he had he had accounts that couldn't get service. So I would service his accounts in the morning, and then I would go to work, you know, correction from three to eleven. Then when I got off at eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. I did security with my complex until the morning, right. so I didn't have to pay rent. So I was hustling. Right. <laughs> so I did whatever it took. Right. And and it's all person development. I mean, if you're not reading, if you're not around the right people, right. And Trust me, I've been around people that, even in law enforcement, that tell me that it's not going to work, or just not going to work. Wanted me to go down different tracks because, trust me, law enforcement, you have Mm -hmm. have that small percentage, you know, that's not all good. Right. And as Jim Rome says, they move around a lot. But, but, you know, you just have to have that willpower, and it's being around more positive than negative. Yes. Because even in law enforcement, you know, even today, seeing what's going on out there with in law enforcement, it's, mm-hmm. it's a small percentage, right? But they shout loud, right? And uh, and we have to do something about that. Yes, yeah, that's so, good. So one of the so one of the things that I hear you saying uh, pretty assertively is the personal development uh, helped a lot, and you got engaged with it. Sound like as you slid more into looking at Amway forward, um, and you have two sons, right? Yes, son. what ages are your sons? Well, well, I actually have three sons. Three sons, okay. And a daughter, because um, I was a single dad for a while. Okay. Uh, when I met Ingrid, um, my oldest son is forty-four, mm-hmm. and my daughter is forty-three, and uh, the two sons that you know is uh, Daniel. He's twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Just got married two weeks ago, and uh, Nathaniel. He's um, twenty-nine. So Daniel, though, is uh, you know he's a uh, he's excelled more in the. And the business side on the personal development side. Right. Nathaniel is a, he's a go-getter. He's, right. he's a more people person. He gets along with people, makes friends. Mm-hmm. But uh, Danny, he's more on the personal development side. And I was sharing with you, at one time I told him, uh, they were in high school. Well, he was in high school and, and Daniel was in middle school. And I told Nathaniel, I said, look, I'll pay you $100 <laughs> for every book. I want you to read 12 books. Right. So at the end of the year, you have 1200 bucks. I'll pay you cash. Every month you read a book, and I'm right. going to ask you because I read those books. Right. So I'm going qu- to quiz you on those books, and I know if you read them or not. Mm-hmm. He said, Daddy, you know I don't like to read. But now Danny on the side says, Daddy, I read them all <laughs> for the 1200 You paying? So, Absolutely. You paying? So, I'll read them. So he, um, so, but he, I didn't give him the opportunity because he was younger. Right. <laughs> he was too young at that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's, uh, his first book that he read, I think he was, probably nine or 10, mm-hmm. was uh, the one minute, one minute manager. Mm-hmm. And he read that to do a report. And he just likes personal development. So he's been reading books ever since. And you know he's uh, excelled in the business. Right. Just got married, has his own place now, uh, doing, you know, doing well. So mm-hmm. uh, with his fiance, uh, um, she does real estate and he does real estate with her now. Right. And he does legal show. He's a regional manager down in Florida. Got it. So, but, uh, you know, great kids. And my oldest son, he does legal shield also. Mm-hmm. Graphic design, he went to school for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, my oldest, well, my only daughter, she's in Tennessee. And stay-at-home mom, she's, uh, she's um, homeschools her kids. Right. Uh, I mean, she's a unique lady. 
she teaches her kids before they can talk how to do sign language. Gotcha. So, but uh, incredible. That's awesome. So, so great kids. They're great kids, though. So what what would, um, you know, when you think about the entrepreneurship, how do you, how would you advise someone to think about, you know, evaluating a new uh, opportunity? Because you had two that failed you. Uh, You have one that works well. Uh, I'm sure new opportunities come your way all the time. I had another opportunity. I opened up a business in the islands. I saw that traditional one, like, well, was about 90 grand on that one. <laughs> 90 grand. You burned through it, you said. Okay. Burned through $90,000 and then came back. Because I took a leave for about nine months mm-hmm. from the department to go down there to start that business. Okay. And, and uh, at that time, <laughs> the Gulf War started, so that went down. Right. So, um, but came back and, and opportunities you know, come in front of you if you're available for them. Sure. So I had one that I couldn't partake in. Or else I may not be sitting here and talking to you. <laughs> I had a phone call. A gentleman uh, asked me to invest ten thousand dollars in uh, back then it was called PCS, mm-hmm. and I said, "Man, I just lost ninety. I don't have ten. Right. But if I knew, if I had the the vision that <laughs> now, if I knew what was happening, I would have found ten friends that borrowed thousand dollars or twenty to borrow five hundred for." <laughs> Because that ended up being Metro PCS. Oh, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> so got that's it. like, okay, well, you know, but opportunities there, and if the, you know, but that was one that I missed out on. But when uh, Legal Shoe came in front of us, that was one that mm-hmm. we took advantage of, and it's just an incredible opportunity. Right. And uh, you know, entrepreneurship is—I just always believe in working for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw my dad uh, being a baker in New York working for a company and uh, he developed a dietetic line he developed a lot of stuff for them and they wanted to just buy him out Mm. and he refused and he ended up having to leave that company Mm. after working for so many years there right and he decided you know he came from an entrepreneurial company uh, family because his father is from St. Vincent Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they had their own bakery he grew up Okay. Working in a bakery with his family's bakery, so they've always been in business. Right. So that's when he went back. He said he wasn't working for anyone anymore. He started his own bakery. Went back to St. Martin. Gotcha. And started it with uh, with nothing. Right. You know, just from an oven, and I was the only son that could bake at the time. So mm-hmm. I mean, we literally started with two regular ovens to start a bakery and gotcha. developed that into two bakeries: one in the Dutch side, one in the French side of the island. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I saw my dad do that, I said, I don't want to work for anybody yeah. either. Yeah. But you have to put bread on the table, and I wasn't hard to work. Right. I wasn't afraid to work, so I mm-hmm. always had a job or two jobs or three jobs, whatever it took, mm-hmm. because I was one of my kids that had what I wanted them to have. But also, I had my street diploma. I grew up in New York. Right. right. But I know that was not the route I wanted to go, because I didn't want, I know what inside the jail looked like. Exactly. <laughs> And I've seen friends that I've grown up with, uh, they're not around anymore, they've gone to jail, some of them are dead, mm-hmm. going down the route you know, of fast money. Mm-hmm. You know? And I didn't want that, I didn't want my kids to look up at me as those people that end up in jail, and right. so I decided I was going to, I'll just work hard. Right. I had to get three jobs. I, I worked with a young lady, an older woman uh, back in the day in New York that I really admired. Uh, Shirley Chisholm. She started one of mm, the first sure. daycare centers. Mm-hmm, I worked mm-hmm. worked with her in the daycare centers, and uh, 
ended up that's how I ended up cooking in a daycare center, right? Bookkeeping in a daycare center, doing whatever it was to make that money. Yes, remember Shirley Chisholm? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah she was an incredible lady. Started the program in inner cities with the daycare centers. So I worked there for a while and mm-hmm. got me into working daycare centers. And as I said, I've done all kinds of jobs. Right. Because I needed to work because right. I had kids. Dropped out of high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't graduate from high school. Somebody mm-hmm. said, you guys? I said, no, I dropped out when my wife, well, she was, my girlfriend got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I was 17. So I had to go to work. I right. didn't believe in welfare and right. taking So I, I went to work. Right. So I was working wherever I could get a job. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was going to go in the military and my mom didn't want to sign the papers. I wasn't 18 yet. So. <laughs> Needed her to sign the papers. That's right. So I, so I ended up uh, getting jobs. So I worked with Shirley Chisholm. Then I ended up uh, working at another daycare center as a cook. And then, uh, and being in the environment, I just, I was, a, I was the type of person, if I'm working somewhere, it's got to be the way it's supposed to be. And right. when I worked at that daycare center, the kitchen wasn't the way it's supposed to be. So I would stay after. Right and clean and paint and I painted and redid the whole kitchen and the director said did you did all this I said, yeah I said I can't work in here the kids gotta eat right they can't this is not the way I grew up I grew up in a bakery that we didn't use no preservatives because mm. we kept everything clean right so she said oh, it was awesome so when <laughs> when that position was over it was a temporary position mm-hmm. uh she turned and said well the the, the janitor is gonna on a me- medical leave you want to take his position <laughs> so, <laughs> I worked that for a while until he came back. Right. And then he says, well, the bookkeeper needs an assistant. Could you help with that? Mm-hmm. I said, sure. So I went from the kitchen to the maintenance to the bookkeeper assistant. Whatever it took, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and ended up going back to college, you know, host those community college, played basketball for them because I was a good ball player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it probably would end up in the pros. Mm. But uh, right? first day of high school, mm-hmm. I got sick. And ended up with spinal meningitis. Oh man! And the doctor said that if I wasn't so athletic, I would have died. Wow! Because of it. And after that, I couldn't take light for a while. It was, and then I, the reason I dropped out of school is because I would go to school. I was on a college-bound program, double mm-hmm. English, double Spanish, everything double mm-hmm. to get out. And I was already on the first five of the basketball team because my brother was playing for. It was a senior there. He was playing, and his coach wanted me to play and put me on the first string. Right. But ended up in the hospital, came out, was in the hospital for a month, was home for a month. Mm-hmm. And when I went back to school, I couldn't remember. So my, my long-term memory was gone. Wow. I could be in class, then I get a test in another couple of weeks, and I couldn't remember what. So that really wow. kind of frustrated me. So I ended up dropping out of school. Gotcha. Uh, back then. And then my girlfriend got pregnant, and all kind of, then I ended up in the island. So it's a, you know, mm-hmm. a long story. But that... But I still came back, and as I said, the first real book that I read right. after that was I'm Okay, You're Okay. Right, right, And that's right. what got me back on track. That's when I was going to host those, playing ball for them. Right. Ended up on their first, yeah, that was good. That's nice. <laughs> I, I don't brag about it, but yeah. my boy still can't beat me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, was, I, was, I was a good ball player. Yeah. MVP, I played uh, baseball and basketball, and so nice. all the way through. So nice. played uh play some good tournaments and nice. stuff. So now as you're bringing up the, you know, the, the younger sardines and uh, focusing on um, helping them be successful and you're using everything you've learned uh, from personal leadership development perspective, what are some of the things you, um, you tell them as kind of the, the first um, priorities 
from a personal leadership development perspective, you kind of the must, the must do's, right? Cause that's the takeaways. Uh, I think I'm hearing from folks, uh, for this episode is, you know, one, you've learned a lot, um, in your time in the Dade County system, right? In terms of how to institutionalize and put those policies in place. And like we talked about with the recidivism, people have to give people a good change dose when they come out, right? They can't go back into that environment. They got to have some dramatic change in order for them not to come back into incarceration environment, right? But then on the personal leadership development perspective, I'm just curious, like what would be your top three? These are the things I'm giving my kids, right? That have to, they, these are the must haves on the personal leadership development. One of the hardest ones, right? I can tell you the hardest thing is who you hang around with. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest challenge because you don't want to stereotype kids because now, you know, they got the dreads, they got, well, my son now got the ponytail going, the, 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 so, I mean, when we grew up, it was the Afro. Right. I mean, I know you don't have much Afro. <laughs> <laughs> what you trying to say? <laughs> but it was the Afro and the braids and stuff like that. So you kind of like, you know, so you got to watch how you, right. how you talk to right. them because then you'll, you'll stop pushing them away. Right. But it is the people, they, the, the first thing is who you hang around with mm-hmm. because that is, you know, it's such a true saying, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, my, my mom, you know, the older people say you, you hang with the dogs, you get bit by the fleas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So, you know, and tell me who your best friends are. I'll tell you who you are. You know, right. all those things we hear from the older people, you know, and, and it's so true to mm-hmm. today. It, it has not changed. Right. And that I would say is number one. Right. You know, and then, uh, and then getting them plugged in mm-hmm. to the personal development, reading the right books that they don't give them in school. Right. They do not give them, you know, your geared, school is geared for you to work into the system. Hmm. You know, it's not to work the system. Right. And, and you don't find very few wealthy people will take you under their wing and teach you what it takes. Right. But when you have someone in the environment that we're in with the, with the network marketing, you're willing to take someone. Mm-hmm under your wing and teach them how to develop their own business. Right. And the first thing is the personal development. Yes. yes. It's getting them around the right people yeah. in the environment, getting them to read in the right books. Right. And focus on their goals. Right. You know, they have to have some goals that they, they want to accomplish and, mm-hmm. and have a time frame that they want to accomplish them. Yes. So all of those things, you know, is what we have to train. And we don't learn that in school. Yes. What's the time? The syllabus. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> what, what, what classes you got to finish in order to get your degree? That's the only goals that we set. Right. It's not, you know, I, so many kids, like even, you know, like my son Nathaniel, I said, what do you want to do? He doesn't know what he wants to do, be, mm-hmm. to go to school for. He says, he wants to help people. He's one of these guys who want to help. So he wants to do social working, help mm-hmm. study that psychology and stuff, but he doesn't really know what, mm-hmm. you know, compared to, you know, Danny, he wants to do engineering. He's good at that, yeah. but he doesn't want to work for anybody. Gotcha. <laughs> he wants to start his own start thing. His own thing. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just getting them who they hang around with, reading the right books, focusing on goals and set a time frame on how to accomplish them, right. what they need to do to get there. And that's something, you know, school teaches you that somewhat, right? knowing what you need to study, but half the classes you never use. Right, right. I mean, what do you use some of the, and my son, Danny has taken, I think every math class there is. Hmm. Something about something equation, I said, what is that? 
<laughs> I mean, he's he sits down and helps older people with their right. math class. Right. He's just, you know, he's won the awards for drafting and stuff for Florida, came in number three right. in the state, number one in the county. So how, you know, for drafting, he'll use those mm-hmm. math skills. But outside of that, right. if you're not doing that, I mean, I remember half of the geometry. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Cool. Exactly. But I remember the personal development books. I remember how um, how the books explain to me why that person's acting that way and how it can now diffuse that. And it helped me a lot with law enforcement. Hmm. Believe it or not, yes. my personal development helped me so much with hmm. law enforcement because training a new generation jailing, you had to actually train the officers how to deal with you know with the inmates. Yes. And a lot of that was personal development. That they didn't realize. Got it. But I had my skills was higher than the skills they were training on, mm-hmm. even my trainers. Right. Because of the personal development books that I had read prior to attending those classes. Gotcha. On human behavior. You know, so some of the trainers I could train them. Yes. Because of the books that I've read. And being in the network marketing and dealing with people, you know, reading the books like, you know, um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. That's a book I believe every college, every high school student should read, and then you have less fights. That's a great book, absolutely. <laughs> you have it's less fights, so you'll understand why that person is acting that absolutely. way. Absolutely. That's Dale, Dale Carnegie. Right? Yeah. Right, yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the first books mm-hmm. that, you know, I just uh, recruited a young man that's 27, and uh, I recommended that book for him. He says, I'm reading that now. It's <laughs> so uh-huh. great. Uh-huh. But those are the things that personal development people you hang around with, setting the goals. And those those are just the main right. focuses, I believe. Good. And know where you want to go. You know? Good. And know why you want to get there. And that's one of the biggest things that I work my business on and creates a success is building the dream. Good. People say, a dream, building the dream. What do you want yes. in life? You know? And there's nothing big and nothing too small, nothing too big. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time. It's been, no, it's been thank great. you, and and uh, it's an honor because I you know read your book, and uh, let me tell you, incredible things. And uh, just sharing with you, we're sharing. Uh, I believe that this can help. You know, my saying is, if it helps one, it's help. Exactly. That's it. And you know, exactly. it's when I'm when I'm sharing anything, I used to go into the schools and talk, and you know, when I was an officer, mm-hmm. uh, to the middle schools, elementary, even the high schools. And as I said, if it helped one, that's the focus. You know, that's I, what we're here to do. And that's the goal. And, 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 and I believe we need it because even in the school system, you know, I've had to go into a school and talk to the principal on my son because personal development can be a, a challenge too <laughs> with, with the kids because one of my sons, because they've learned that you can have anything you want if you're willing to do the work right, right to get it. And he was in a class and... A couple of kids said that they had an assignment. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want to have, and what do you want to do, and what do you want to be? And one kid said that he's going to have, you know, two Lamborghinis, and I have mm-hmm. this, and I have that. And the teacher had the nerve to tell him the only way you're going to get that is if you're a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And my son stood up to him and says, "That's not true. What if he Good. became a mechanic and he had a bunch of mechanic shops, and now he can? Afford- you Good can't tell him that. Good for him." Yeah, but then I had to go to school and talk to the principal. Right. <laughs> so he, got, he got sent home right. because he stood up to the teacher and right. told the teacher that he was wrong. Right, right. 
So now he had a challenge and I had to go and I had to go talk to the principal. I says, that teacher needs to be counseled and disciplined Mm -hmm. because if he affected one student in that classroom, there's one too many. There's no reason that he should have been building that kid up that said he wanted that. That's right. And guiding him where he can go to get it. That's right. Not telling him where he can go to get it the wrong way. And set limitations. Right. So, so I got it. This is a part of the challenge, right? We're trying to, you know, trying to, to remove these barriers of thought that there's no hope. There are these limitations and barriers that I can't go beyond, right? That's a part of the, the whole rationale for this program, right? When you look at these, uh, a lot of these kids, you can look into their eyes and see that they've already determined they have no place to go. There is no hope. I have nothing to look forward to, right? And that is a very, depressing, we should all be as adults, as parents, looking at future generations, concerned with that idea that we have youth that are 16, 14, 12, 10, 8, thinking that they have nowhere to go. That's a part of what we want to do here is help us as adults raise our level of understanding and awareness and, again, actual insight uh, on these topics so we can then take it down and help in a lot of different ways, particularly on the educational front. Well, the education is key. I mean, in in the jail system, yes, also, absolutely. Um, in the schools, it starts in the schools. I think if we do more in the schools, we have less in the jail. Absolutely. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, absolutely. That's the feeder yeah. system, right? We got to fix that. We so. have less in the jail, and if we start teaching them that they can accomplish things instead of the wrong way. Yes. And the reason that these you can call them gangs or organizations, whatever it is, uh, out there because the few they give more hope and belief to those people out there in the, in the street right. than we give with what we offer right. as a community. Right. And we need to, we need to change that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of programs out there, but some people don't know how to get to the programs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the programs need to get to the kids. Exactly. Agreed. And there's a lot being done out there, but we need to do more. We exactly. really do. I've seen us as working in the jails and, Mm-hmm. For years and seeing these kids come in there, yeah, and they start off young. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah. if we could save some. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know, that's a. So I really admire what you're doing. No, thank you for what and, you've uh, already done. Now, how old are you? Let me talk about the camera. So thank you for being this edition of the Corling Solution. <laughs> Appreciate you being here. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm 46. <laughs> Thank you for linking up with me for another episode of The Coiling Solution. You are informed and empowered and now can be accountable. A few takeaways I took from this episode. Number one, if you have a family member that is incarcerated, you need to be an advocate on multiple fronts, proper care while within the facility and assistance in transition upon the release from the facility. Number two, personal leadership development. Always good to get more perspectives, right? Be mindful of your associations. Associations can help elevate you or take you in the opposite direction. And then number three, reading the right books. School is always helpful but tends to drive us towards blending into a system we always need to read books to help open up our mindset and prepare us for owning our own have a point of view of where you want to go and why you want to get there so those are my three takeaways but you probably have others please share them with me if you find this podcast to be of value please subscribe rate and review 
as you listen to these podcasts, you're going to have questions, hear some things that are new to you, and all of those things are good. I'm here to serve. Go to our website, thecorelinksolution.com, and right below the show notes, you'll see a comment section. You can ask your questions, mention challenges you face in the areas that we cover, and even tell me other guests you'd like to hear from. Alternatively, you can do the same through the social channels of Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks so much for linking up, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.